0: Well, that depends. I don't know what Dan's going to say about plasma. It might be that death is <laughs> less
1: of a downer than plasma.
2: <laughs> yeah, we can only go out from there.
1: Yeah. User Error 50. I'm Joe. I'm Alan. And I'm Dan. So we're back with just the three of us. And let's start with a hashtag Ask Error. And remember, you can submit these to us either on Twitter, on Telegram, or at error.show slash contact. You can email us from there. So what kind of books do you like it's a kind of getting to know you ask error so uh alan what kind of books do you like so uh, i don't read that many books i I have an aspiration to read books but
0: i never actually read them and i buy them and i put them on my amazon wish list and people buy them for me and now they've learned not to buy them for me because i don't read them (laughs) and so i feel terrible because people buy me books and i have a giant bookshelf next to me and another bookshelf downstairs with loads of books on that i've bought and never read And i've read some of some of them, but I just get bored like partway through. I can't read the whole thing. So like things that I like are, um, fiction like, um, stories about how, you know, things happened in historical times or something like that, or a recent like history. I was reading a recent book about the evolution of 32 bit microcomputers and the story of the development of them in Silicon Valley and stuff like that. I find that interesting. Um, and the one I read on my honeymoon, which is the uh, one of the last books that I remember really, really enjoying, was called The Code Book um, by Simon Singh, and that was really good. But uh, my honeymoon was uh, eighteen years ago, so <laughs> the fact that I can remember a book I read eighteen years ago says a lot about how many books I read. Not very many. What about you, Dan?
2: So I'd say probably the most kind of books that I've read in my life has been like uh, fantasy fiction or sci-fi. Uh, one of my favorite series is this one called The Obsidian Chronicles, and it's like – got this world full of like magic and dragons and things like that. And it's like builds up this whole mythos about like how things function in that world. I think that's one of my favorite things is when a writer can uh make a world that you can believe in and understand the rules of and kind of draw conclusions about it that help you, you know, kind of see like where character is going or where their thought process is. I really like that. Um, but I think that recently I've mostly been reading more like um Self-help type books, I suppose, like things about you know uh, um, relationships or like things about um, you know uh, how to be productive or or things you know in, in that realm. So I, I've been going through a lot of those recently. Some audiobooks, some actually reading them, but uh, but I haven't I haven't picked up a good fantasy book
1: lately. So if anybody's got suggestions, I'd I'd be down for that. Oh, don't tell me you've been reading Jordan Peterson's Twelve Rules for Life or whatever it is.
2: No, no, nothing like that. Uh, I mean, I'm going through all the ones <laughs> that that people say are, you know, must reads like all the like uh five love languages and stuff like that. Um I read um one that was uh it's called uh, Models and it's about becoming a man that you feel uh, more confident in yourself and are more it, it's kind of like Uh, a answer to like the pickup artist culture that's more like well instead of that let's focus on like becoming a better person and being uh, more sure of yourself and having like self-esteem and things like
0: that you mentioned um audiobooks and you've reminded me that i do listen to some audiobooks i had i had for uh for a long while an audible subscription and i would download books and then listen to some of them but the problem is I as I've mentioned on a previous episode I listen to stuff as I go to bed and so I'd only ever get through like 15 minutes worth of something before falling asleep and then forget where I am and have to re-listen to it so it takes me like a year to listen to a book because I'm re-listening to the same thing over and over again and I can't listen to audiobooks while I'm working and so and I don't commute so I can't listen in the car or on the train or anything so it's the only time I, I get to relax and listen to stuff is really when I'm cooking, and then I tend to listen to podcasts. But I, I would like to listen to more books, but I just don't know when I would do it.
1: What about when you're pumping iron at the gym? The what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So uh, I'm kind of in a similar position. I don't read so good, basically. I have to read a lot for the podcast that I do, a lot of tech news and everything, uh, and that exhausts my brain dollars when it comes to reading. But I have been a fan of audiobooks in the past. And so I I kind of consider that I've read something even if I've just listened to it. Um, But because I listen to so many podcasts now, it's kind of squeezed out the audiobook. So I have not read a book or listened to a book for at least a couple of years now, probably more than that. Um, but that said before, when I did have time to listen to books, it was mostly kind of popular science stuff, not really any fiction apart from the Martian, which someone said was really good. And it turned out to be amazing. I remember walking around one night, uh, near home. Uh, I think I got close to home and then ended up just walking round and round and round the kind of local park thing just to listen to the end of it. It was amazing but otherwise popular science books about like evolution and physics and stuff like that nothing too in depth all of the popular um, you know simplified stuff but uh, yeah non-fiction for me but again just no time to listen to them unfortunately that whole um, don't go home carry on walking carry on driving thing
0: I used to do that when I was about 18 because I wanted to carry on listening to a song on the radio I've never done
1: it with a book (laughs) (laughs) yeah Okay, tech will soon make it impossible to get away with anything. So here's the thesis. A combination of CCTV cameras everywhere and the fact that we've all got portable tracking devices on us, be it phones or watches or whatever, means that soon it's going to be impossible or all but impossible to commit even tiny crimes. Like sometimes when I'm driving along, at slightly above the speed limit, I think to myself, hmm, Google knows that I'm going above the speed limit and they could quite easily tell the powers that be if they wanted to. I don't think they will, but that data is being logged somewhere. And so it makes me ask the question, first of all, do you agree with me that we are getting towards this future where you're not going to be able to get away with any crimes and is that a good or bad thing?
2: I guess my next question question after that is you kind of get to like what is the purpose of law and should it be always enforced right like um if if the purpose uh, of law you know is that you have to follow it to the letter always um then yeah that would be a really dystopian future but if it's like a framework for um enforcing when We know that like harm has been caused, right? Then, then maybe it's not such a bad thing because like that, that evidence will only ever be uh, entered in if there's some actual like bad outcome.
0: But we already don't follow all the laws. Like that's why we have lawyers and judges and juries to decide whether what someone did was right or wrong. And then sometimes the law changes as a result of a decision made in a court. Um, Certainly in the UK, it does anyway. And I can see why. Uh, You might think that we're living in a dystopian future, but think of the other side where there are people going around doing things which are against the law, and they really should be prosecuted for those things, or they should be
1: at least stopped from doing those things. Wouldn't it be a good idea to stop those people? Well, yeah, like the bastards who stabbed my tires this week and cost me over 100 quid to replace them. I know for a fact that using technology, I could find them. If I was in charge of Google and Apple and whatever, I know that I could work out when it happened and kind of track everyone who went past my car with, you know, but obviously I don't have that power. If
0: you happen to live in a popular part of the town where there was a Mardi Gras happening at the time, Mm -hmm. there's no way of knowing which one of those people did it until you get like DNA evidence. And the the cost barrier for replacing two tires on your knackered van isn't worth the investment required. So, you know, the, the law has to balance whether it's a worthwhile prosecution or not. And, and that also includes all that time and effort going to get all the records from whoever has that data, whether it's Google or Apple or whoever. Yeah. It's, it's just not worth it from it. I, I realise it's inconvenienced you somewhat, but it's a minor crime, but for major crimes like things where people are murdered or there's, you know, massive inconvenience to the country or fraud or something like that. It, There are lawyers out there who want to get paid for that, and they will take on that case, whereas I don't think you'll find a lawyer that would take on the case of someone sticking a bradle in two of your tires.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah, it seems like the way that the legal process works kind of already safeguards that data from being abused on a mass scale, right?
0: Right. And I had a, an experience of this, getting caught by technology for committing a crime fairly recently, actually, when um due to an administrative error i was driving my car without any insurance and uh i was not aware of that um and a police car pulled up alongside me and flashed me and because they have automatic number plate recognition systems in the police car they knew that i didn't have any insurance and pulled me over and you know i had to go through all that process of you know um being inconvenienced but the fact remains i was doing something wrong i was driving a vehicle on the road that was uninsured and so it was a good thing that there was this cctv based system in their in their car that caught me because what if i'd been in an accident and run someone over and i had no insurance no cover you know and something disastrous had happened um that would have that would have been a uh an awful outcome but the fact that that car is now off the road and is now insured and everything's sorted, you know, and it's a deterrent. And now I'm telling you about that, you might not do that same thing. So yeah. there, there is a, a good side to being tracked in this way. Uh, I realise it's not like a, a company um, tracking me, but the police force and the police national computer and all that kind of stuff. But it's a similar
1: vein. And what happened then? Did you get points and a fine or anything? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Points and a fine and left by the side of the road while they took my car away, which was really irritating because it was four o'clock in the morning and I was driving to the airport to go to Academy in Vienna. So yeah, it was irritating, but you know, you got to balance it with, well, I was in the wrong, you know, it wasn't like I was nudging near the speed limit and I was, you know, it was questionable whether I was doing something wrong. I was wrong. I did something wrong. And you know, the punishment is
1: points on your license and a fine and... That's yeah. You take it on the chin, don't you? But surely the logical conclusion of all this is, as the technology gets cheaper, that even minor crimes will be worth investigating and will be worth punishing people for. Possibly. Or do you think that that's just never going to happen? It's never going to get cheap enough. I wonder if there would be like vigilante groups who would have
0: access to that data, and they would go around and fight your crime for you at a lower fee than you know this high price that that lawyers charge and that the judicial system that we have currently charges maybe people will uh, volunteer to go and find someone i mean we already have that on the internet you know you look at when there's some crime and there's a dodgy cctv footage reddit goes mental and four go lunatic trying to figure out who these people are um and sometimes they're successful sometimes they're not and they find the wrong person and that wrong person gets persecuted and and so on but there are already people out there who are time rich um, and are ready to sit there um, trawling through, you know, Facebook and social media and, and all kinds of other public data and use other tricks to get hold of data. So I think it's already happening. Actually, I think there are already you know crime fighting do-gooders in their basement already doing that. Um, they might not have found the person who stabbed your car, but something else that's popular on Reddit. May well. Maybe you should post a
1: photo of your car on Reddit and see if someone (laughs) will find it out for you. (laughs) Yeah, time and date and place and everything. Hmm. Except that would mean letting everyone know where I live, so probably best not to do that. (laughs)
0: That could backfire, yeah.
1: (laughs) So, Plasma, is it worth all the recent hype? So, the KDE Plasma desktop seems to be getting very popular Um, at least in my perception, anyway, there's a lot of hype about it. People seem to be very excited. There's a lot of people all over the internet on Reddit and YouTube and on podcasts and everywhere. And so is it really that good? Is it worth it? I know Popey, you have been rocking KD, um, neon for quite a while now, and you've stuck with it, but Dan, I get the feeling that you might be quite down on it. I know that you are very, um, design conscious and i know that elementary os is very much about the user experience and you know you've you've got your vision for how that should be so i suppose given poppy you're probably going to be quite positive about it um i'm i'm meh about it by the way i think it's good but it's just equally as good as say mate or whatever and i'm just happy with xfce so dan tell us what you don't like about it or what you do like about it
2: all right, let me unfurl my my large, full notebook of, of things I went through the other day. Um, before anything, I should say that I don't like crapping on other projects. I don't think that's fun. Um, I know that there's people who work really hard on this stuff, and uh, I don't want to disrespect them in any way. And, but? But, <laughs> but... So I I uh, grabbed uh, KDE Neon the other day and uh, booted that up. And the first thing that I hit was a desktop that did not detect my high DPI display automatically. So I went to go dick around in the settings to try to find out how to do that. finally found uh, a setting for scaling, um, which is like a slider, uh, which makes it really difficult to actually get to my, you know, doubled display density. And then once I hit that, uh, all it did was change the font size. Uh, and <laughs> I've heard from people that if you reboot, like that it'll do all the toolkit stuff, but it's, it's like, okay, well now I just have big fonts. Um, you know, so uh all every time you open a window, like none of the default sizes or pane positions or anything like that are scaled, so they're all these like really awkward tiny sizes. And then like so, I'm going to like drag to readjust the window, and the drag handles on all the windows are only one pixel. So I'm like trying to finagle my little touchpad cursor to try to pull on it, and all the windows always open in the top left. Never remember any of their positions, so I'm like reaching across all these pixels I have to try to find the window every time. And so I'm trying to dig through settings because like KDE is supposed to be, or Plasma is supposed to be really configurable, right? And I'm like, well, maybe all the defaults just suck. So I'm going through to try to find these settings and there are so many settings. Like I can, I can configure the number of pixels before a drag operation starts. But <laughs> the setting to have like natural scrolling on my touchpad doesn't do anything. Like it just doesn't work. You mean wrong, incorrect scrolling. One to one with how I'm moving my fingers on the screen. Like like modern real regular scrolling instead of weird inverted old scrolling. You mean
1: uh, smartphone scrolling, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah,
2: yeah, smartphone scrolling. But yeah, so the setting just didn't do anything. Restarting applications didn't seem to help. Um, you know, and, and it just seems like, like, especially regarding settings, uh, you know, the, the defaults are weird. Some apps like don't have a menu bar by default, but some do like a lot of them have a configurable, but some don't. So it's like not really consistent and there's no way to like, as a setting, there's no way to like, just do that globally that I could see. But there's so many settings that it becomes difficult to actually find settings that I care about. Like I really don't care about being able to configure the number of pixels before a drag operation starts, and um, you know something that that we do in Elementary is we. Take a stance on settings that we never hand off design or engineering decisions to users. And settings are about making the product more accessible to more people. So if it's a matter of personal preference or it's a matter of uh, trying to fit into someone's lifestyle better, then that's a valid setting. But if it's like a raw engineering decision, like that's we're we're putting shit work on our users if we put that setting in the UI, and and it makes it hard to find things that people actually care about. So that's kind of like sums up my Plasma experience.
1: <laughs> Fairly negative. Now, Poppy, I know that you were a big fan of Unity before. Still am. Well, yeah, I suppose, because it isn't dead yet. But um, you are, I don't know, are you supposed to use GNOME for work because it's Ubuntu? I mean, I know that Canonical will let you use a Mac or whatever if you want. But, um, I mean, surely you must be somewhat expected to use stock Ubuntu. No,
0: not really. Uh, so when you when you join Canonical you're expected to bring your own laptop and support your own laptop. So if you choose to have, you know, I could run elementary or KDE or Ubuntu. The only the only exception to that really is the desktop team because they're working on the product and it would be a bit mad if everyone on the desktop team ran different desktops and nobody actually ran the desktop we ship. That would be a bit mad.
1: But you're working on Snap, so surely, I mean, I know they're supposed to be. And they're universal. They work on all desktops, so why would I want to run just one of them? Right. I see, so you're actually doing your job by testing different desktops. Yeah, it turns out
0: I actually do my job. <laughs> um Yeah, I've, I have two laptops, and one that's basically welded to the desk because it's too heavy for me to move, and the other one that I actually do move, and the one that's bolted to the desk runs um stock Ubuntu, 1804 Ubuntu GNOME. And because, you know, that's the experience. Um, and the other one runs KDE Neon, which I've run since February this year um, after a challenge that Chris did on um, Linux Unplugged, I think it was. And I can understand where Dan comes from with the settings. They can be overwhelming. And I've found at times it difficult to find the exact setting I want. But for the most part... I did all that within the first week of owning the system and setting it all up. I don't generally fiddle with settings once it's done. I've like got it set up and that's it. I leave it. Um, I can't think of the last time I actually had to change a setting or for anything now that I've got it set up. And because of this highly configurable nature of KDE, it's quite funny, when I go to work and I plug my laptop into the projector people are like oh you have it set up like that and that oh could mean oh you have a dark theme or oh you have the menu thing in the top left hand corner or oh you have a you know old school um application switcher thing or you know your alt tab looks different to mine or you don't use multiple desktops and that's the other side of kde and plasma is that highly configurable nature is that I can have it exactly how I want it. And actually, I don't have it looking anything like Unity. A lot of people think that I would run KDE so that I could make it look like Unity because I miss Unity and, you know, I'm pining for it and all that. But I don't. I'll, I'll just use it as it feels right. And I really enjoy it. I really enjoy, um, the updates that I get because I get loads of updates all the time direct from the people doing KDE and Plasma. And everything works, and it's
1: fast, and what more do you want? What about GTK apps, though? I mean, I know that they will work, but don't they just look horribly out of place? Um, I'm looking at my system, and I don't think I have a single GTK app open. I have
0: Telegram, Firefox, IRC Cloud, Slack, and a terminal, Mumble, and Audacity. And I don't think well, arguably Slack and uh, IRC cloud they're Electron, so they're GTK two or GTK three, but there's not a lot of GTK about them. Mm. So um, yeah, I, I probably have a couple of GTK apps, but they don't look out of place. Actually, they don't. Uh, it's not like you know the. The, the new style, I, I don't think you're particularly a fan of in Gnome with the big fat bar at the top and buttons. No, in. I don't like that at all. No. Right, I didn't think so.
2: It's actually smaller. It uses no, less vertical it isn't. space. It, it absolutely it is isn't. It, If you put it side by side and measure it, it's less space.
1: No, <laughs> it isn't compared to KDE. Not on XFCE, it's not. Anyway.
2: Well, XFCE is a different story. Right. <laughs> with a sane style sheet, it's always less.
1: That That kind of thing, I
0: don't like either. You know, it looks like someone with a big forehead is owns my window, and I don't like that. um So, those probably look out of place if they're like properly GTK apps. But nothing I've got running at the moment looks out of place; it all looks fine. So, but then clearly, I'm some kind of person who has
1: no uh, design opinion because I I run KDE, <laughs> you know. So, but Dan, don't you think that if you spent a lot of time with it, you could configure it? to be exactly how you wanted, and then just leave it.
2: But I would never, ever do that. I think that's where like Android was like several years ago, right? And people would always say, oh, well, Android's good once you spent a week figuring it out. And it's like, that's why nobody mm. liked it. And then it had to like get good by default. And then people started liking it. And it sounds like KDE has been kind of uh, like on a campaign, right? Where their their thing is uh, simple by default, powerful when needed, or whatever, right? Yeah. So it seems like they're they're on that train going. You know, we need to make it good out of the box because having it good after you've spent a week with it isn't good enough to get people to switch to it. Because that's my experience is I open the box and I don't want to build my own DE kit. I want just a DE that already works. And I'm happy to learn like the KDE way. And uh, if I were to use Plasma, I would use only Qt applications. I wouldn't expect to use any GTK applications. Like I would treat it as a new platform that does its own thing, and you learn how that platform works. But my experience was that out of the box was like it doesn't work.
0: I may. I mean, the fact that I've customized it. I don't think that's. It's not, it took me a week to learn how to use it. It was, I mean, I haven't used KDE for 10 years, so there was a bit of a learning curve. Um, but you know, it is a Linux desktop, so there's not that, lot, that much to learn. Uh, it's not like, you know, all the buttons are upside down or whatever. Um, it, so it didn't take me a week to get to where I am. It was, I wanted to fiddle with it and I fiddled with it quite a bit and I didn't want to play with the stock experience. Maybe if I, reset all the settings to factory default i i could give it a go and try what it looks like you know default and maybe i'd get on well with that as well um but i I don't think it's a bad thing that you can sit and fiddle with it for a week and get it to the way you want it's not making it work it's making it work the way you want it to
2: i suppose maybe um you know another perspective though is that like, if you have everything super customized as a development team, you never see what your stock experience is, and that's why it's so bad.
1: Mm, possibly. Well, I said I was meh about it, and I think that's unfair, really. I do think it is nice. Uh, it's I'm just so used to XFCE that I don't want to change, and until I have a really compelling reason to do so, then I'm just not going to. But I think that it really is a two-horse race between Marte and Plasma for me. And they both seem sort of equally resource-hungry and configurable. Well, is more configurable, but uh, it's, they've both got the configuration options I want, I think. And so they're, they're both very good, but I've never really spent enough time with anything other than XFCE, I think. I've never really lived with anything else, because well, I wish I could explain it properly, but um, it just, for me, is just the perfect balance of everything. And I can't say enough good things about it, but it's just—it's not very fashionable, is it? It's much more fashionable to like something like Plasma. I don't know that it's necessarily fashionable. Um, There are phrases like, oh, it's fashionable to do this, or
0: doing it for the sake of it, which I think is a a way people dismiss change or dismiss other people's opinions. Like, I used XFCE when I very first used Linux, like way, way back in the days of... Uh, Before Fedora was a thing, when I was using Red Hat 7 or something like that, a long, 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 long time ago. And I enjoyed it. It was great. But other better things came along. And I love the fact that I could press the super key on Unity and then start typing and open an application. And the same thing has now come to every other desktop. Basically, you press a button and then start typing and you get what you want. And I don't know if XFC now has that, but, you know, Back then, when Unity was around, I don't think it had that kind of capability. And we got um, quite a kicking for this whole, oh, where's the menu gone? I want the hierarchical menu. Where's that gone? You know, why do I have to press a key and then type like an animal to find the thing? And now, look... Absolutely every desktop does this. You press a button and then start typing and get the thing you want. Like, not just Linux, but every every operating system does this kind of search for the thing you want. Don't go hunting and pecking around menus. It just takes time for some people to realize that that
1: change is a good thing. Well, with XFCE, you've got both. Okay, you can't bring it up by default with uh, the Windows key or whatever, but you click on the menu, the whisker menu at least, and you can browse it hierarchically, or you can just start typing. So you've got the best of both worlds. Uh, I think that was the criticism, really, leveled at Unity, was why is it only this new way of doing it? Why can't you have both? Mm. Sometimes you have to make those bold steps, though.
2: I mean, that's what we have in uh, in Pantheon, though, is we have both the category view and the grid view and the search all together. And we've kind of like made a, a nice, compact little design for it so it's not too overwhelming.
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: But I think something interesting about XFCE in particular, Joe, is that uh, a lot of the design work that's going into it recently is very heavy uh, Pantheon inspired. So if you want to see the future of XFCE, you should just you know jump over.
1: <laughs> All right, another quick hashtag Ask era. What's your waking up routine? So, do you have an alarm? Uh, do you snooze it? Do you jump straight out of bed, straight in the shower, or what? So speaking of
2: books, uh, my brother recommended me this Miracle Morning. Have you heard of this? No. Okay, so the, the Miracle Morning is really interesting. And I, I did it a few times, but I'm not disciplined enough to keep doing it. But it actually like feels really good. And the idea is to, like, get a jump on your day and your productivity, uh, like, right away. So he's, like, you know, recommends things like put your alarm clock far away so that you get immediately out of bed. So don't spend time rolling around in bed. Uh, you know, drink a glass of water first thing when you wake up. Uh, you know, do uh, exercise. Uh, do a little bit of reading, uh, spend some time in like silent meditation and then spend some time with affirmations. Are you guys familiar with, familiar with the concept of affirmations?
1: Not in this context.
2: So the idea is that you spend some time like basically hyping yourself up like today i'm gonna i'm gonna be really successful at work you know i'm gonna i'm gonna go out and have a really productive day you know you just spend some time like getting into a positive mindset about where you want to be today and like who you want to be or what what your goals are for the day
1: that sounds dreadfully american i was gonna say the same thing
2: <laughs> but it, it's like this really very interesting thing and if you do it for like two or three days like I think it works. Like you end up having like this incredibly productive day and feeling like super good. And you're like, wow, like, like this actually really works. But I, am just not disciplined enough to do it. It's just like, you have to actually wake up and do all these little steps or whatever. And I would rather roll around in bed, read some Twitter, go make my coffee, lay on the couch for a while, you know, (laughs) like not do anything productive for like two hours
0: (laughs) So, Joe, I would ask you what your morning routine is, but you don't ever
1: see the morning, do you? Uh, not very often. I did see the morning today because I had to go and sort out that tire situation. So I got up at like 10 something. Um, but even then, I still stayed in bed for about half an hour at least. I basically wake up and then stay in bed until I need a piss <laughs> is the bottom line. And uh, just read stuff on my phone. Just the the you know the barrage of emails and uh, other notifications that I have to deal with first thing. Um, and have what I call my morning internets. So I you know read a bit of tech news, a bit of uh, politics news, that sort of thing. Look at the weather, and just I don't know. Sometimes actually do proper work, like plan shows and read loads of RSS feeds and everything like that. And really just don't get out of bed and t- or and if I'm really hungry well sometimes I wake up because I'm desperate for a piss and then I get straight back in bed for uh sometimes an hour or two and then I get really hungry and get up i i just have terrible sleep hygiene is the bottom line you're supposed to get straight up but i just i'm just bad at that and um when i used to have to set my alarm i would always snooze it at least well i used to My alarms used to be set for 6 and 6.30, and so I would wake up at 6, turn that one off, and then know, right, okay, I've got half an hour to sleep again, and go straight back to sleep, and it would just like that immediately be 6.30, and then I'd snooze that probably, well, it depends on where I was working, but sometimes for like half an hour, so three snoozes. I'm just terrible at going to bed, and I'm terrible at sleeping generally. So, um, Popey, you've presumably got a lot of kerfuffle in the mornings of mm-hmm. kids getting ready for school and everything. So you presumably can't do that.
0: Yeah, well, kind of, um, up and th- up until last year, both the kids went to the same school that my wife works at. So I didn't actually have to do any school run at all. And so the kids would basically get themselves up and get ready and Claire would get ready and I could actually stay in bed the whole morning until after they've left. Um, but it's preferable. Often for me to get up and help in the morning, like making breakfast and making sure the kids have got all their stuff. So there is, you know, work to be done to get them out the door in the morning, and sometimes they need jing up a little bit or helping finding sports socks or whatever it is they're missing from their bag. We try and encourage them to do it the night before, but it doesn't work. Um, but now things have changed, and Sam goes to a different school, which is walking distance from the house. It's like a 20-minute walk, but he hasn't started walking. In fact, today was the first time he walked home on his own. Normally, I'd drop him off and pick him up. i do the school run, which means that I have to get out of bed and get dressed and leave the house in order to get him to school, which is only a five-minute drive there and back. Um, and that's helped quite a bit because I can't just laze in bed because I have to do a school run. And then when I get back... Uh, my morning will consist of the same like looking at my phone dishwasher washing machine put the kettle on tidy up the kids breakfast stuff and then take a slow mosey up the stairs to my office and then start work but since I've been doing the school run I've started work earlier um which is good because otherwise I could just sit in bed and just wait until the first meeting rolls around and then climb out of bed and get in go and have the meeting um which is not a good way to operate. So I think I think it's good. The only problem is that Sam now wants to start walking to school, which means I don't have to go out of the house in the morning either. So I'm going to try and postpone <laughs> that as long as possible so that I can still drop him off. Or I could just be disciplined, but yeah, that's not going to happen. I, for waking up, I have a Pebble watch, and I use the alarm on that so it just vibrates on my arm and wakes me up that way.
1: I uh, see now I couldn't sleep with a watch on, so that wouldn't work for me. Why? I don't know. I just... It would just feel wrong.
2: Yeah, I got to take my watch off too. It's, I don't like the restricted feeling.
1: Yeah, and I'd probably like crush it or, I don't know, I'd sleep on it and it'd just go all strange or I'd be pressing buttons on it and, nah, can't be sleeping with a watch on. Right, bit of a heavy one. I don't understand death. That's probably the heaviest possible one that we could talk about here. What is there to not understand, Joe? Right, okay, so I understand that things die and people die, and then they're not alive anymore, right? Obviously, I do understand the basic concept of death, but I don't truly understand death, because I don't really understand what it means to be alive. I know that I'm talking to two people now who are clearly alive, and I'm looking at my lovely monitor, and I know that that's definitely not alive. But I don't understand where that line is between something that is inanimate and something that is alive. And I don't understand why that is, because they're both made of the same stuff, the same atoms and subatomic particles, but they're just arranged in a slightly different way and somehow are alive. Now, I think I need to preface this by saying that I am not religious in the slightest. I don't believe in any kind of higher power, I think the universe just is what it is. Um, We should probably get that out of the way. I mean, I have, you know, respect for religious people. If that's what you're into, good for you. Um, I take it you too. Poppy, I know you're not a great religious guy, right? (laughs) A great religious guy. Um, (laughs) No, I wouldn't describe myself as a great religious
0: guy. Uh, no, No, I'm a massive atheist. I don't believe in any of that. Yeah.
1: Dan, what about you? Uh
2: I'm at this weird intersection of uh if we decide that what we define to be a god or gods is a possible thing to exist, then I don't think that necessitates religion. Like, if we discover, like, higher dimensional beings, like, that doesn't mean we should worship them. So even if God did exist, I still wouldn't worship it.
1: Right. Okay. So, you know, with that out of the way, then, what is the difference between a rock and uh, a mouse they're both roughly the same size they're both made of atoms and electrons and you know subatomic particles whatever but clearly there is a big difference one is alive and one isn't what what is that difference i think you're asking the wrong people joe
0: i think (laughs) perhaps perhaps you should have started a science podcast (laughs) Um, (laughs) maybe yeah um I don't, I don't know. I, d- I don't understand. I mean, I don't have the vocabulary to, uh, to understand this. And I got barely got GCSE science at school. So, um, I know that there are scientists out there who could describe what it is that makes something living. And I wouldn't want to try and paraphrase what they would say. I would imagine that there's something to do with the consciousness, something to do with the fact that it's able to think for itself and these words that we're using like think and consciousness have their own definitions so you can't just throw back at me well my computer can think you know it can (laughs) think how many pixels to put on the screen no because that's not the definition of think and not the definition of consciousness and we could sit here probably smoking dope for hours discussing this um and still not get to the right conclusion um you'd probably better off asking a scientist i think
2: i guess i would think that from like a philosophical perspective like the difference that we care about between dead and alive things has to be like desire right like yeah a computer can compute things but it doesn't really have any kind of desires like a mouse at least like desires food you know plant desires sunlight right for some definition of the word desire like they're trying to do something they have some kind of intent
1: Agency, I think is the word, maybe. But when it comes to death, I I don't know, maybe it's that I just can't come to terms with the idea that I'm going to die. Maybe that's like why I don't understand it. I just can't compute the idea that I will be dead one day.
0: Have you um, thought much about what your life was like in the early 1800s? (laughs) Because when you're dead, it's very much like that you're not there anymore other than the thoughts and things you leave behind and all these podcasts <laughs> sat yeah. on people's hard drives and phones that they are, are or aren't listening to. But the after you're dead is not a lot different than before you existed. Like, okay, there may be the impact of on the world that you made, but you know, the, for you, from your perspective, it's pretty much the same. It's non-existence in the same way that we my myself and my wife have managed to conjure up a couple of children somehow and before they existed, like twenty years ago, myself and my wife would go on holiday and we didn't even think about Sophie and Sam because they didn't exist. And Sophie and Sam didn't think about Sophie and Sam and they didn't think about Fortnite and Ballet because those things didn't exist, right? It's only once you come into existence that you exist and when you stop existing, you're gone.
2: I guess that's why the the concept of, like, last wishes always seems weird to me, too. Like, you're never going to see those wishes carried out. You'll have no idea if they're carried out or not. Like, oh, when I die, you know, I want whatever to happen to my body. Like, why? You don't, You're not there anymore.
0: It's like when people leave, I mean, on a much smaller scale, it's like when people leave a company. You know, when they're working for a company and they leave and they get all emotional, like, Pretty much the second you walk out the door, everyone's forgotten who the hell you were and what you were doing, and nobody cares about your your next job, and nobody really cares, you know, what you're doing. Um, you might have struck up some friendships, but as as an entity, that world, that company, doesn't care about you any more than it cares about the fire escapes or the car park.
1: You know, it's when you when you move on, you're gone. I think you've hit upon the real problem that I have with facing death is that what I can't bear the most is that life will carry on without me. (laughs) It's a very self-centered thing to say. It's pretty naturally human, isn't it? That self-centeredness. Well, yeah. And I am incredibly self-centered. What can I say? Just that idea that when I die, okay, a small number of people will be sad and whatever for quite a while. And some other people will be a bit sad for a little while. But then the vast majority of people won't give a shit. And we'll just carry on with all their lives and everything.
0: The vast majority of people don't know you exist, Joe. Exactly. Like, there are billions of people mm. on this planet who, uh, for some unfathomable reason, have never found this podcast.
1: Mm. Um,
0: <laughs> and don't know you exist. Have you Have you um, been in the situation where a close family member has died yet?
1: Um Yes, but kind of uh, older, right? Members, if you know what I mean, right? So a few years ago, my dad died, and uh,
0: I I found out he was um, dying quite late. Uh, for some reason, the family felt it necessary to hold this back for me, and uh, so I, when I found out, I jumped on a plane and went out to see him because uh, he lived in Spain at the time, and uh, he was in hospital, and I was there for the final days um and stayed with his wife and met all the people that were part of his world who were sad that he was unwell and that to- that really struck me i've had i've had family members who've passed away um or croaked or whatever you want to call it and it was really different when it was someone super close uh, you know the fact that there's a living breathing person here right now and then minutes later gone not anymore and that that really affected me i really understood that shortness of life that you have that short amount of time between birth and death that you have like when you think how long humans have been around and how long you just the people around you have been around that short amount of time that you have on the planet i think It's, it's prudent to not stress too much about the, the end, the, the death part, because when it comes, it comes and there's fuck all you can do about it. Especially if, you know, you're, you get some terrible disease that's just going to swallow you up from the inside out. There's, there's nothing you can do. Um, so really my perspective would be live for today and just, don't even think about death because it's just not worth thinking about. There's nothing you can do about it.
1: Tell that to Ray Kurzweil, who the um the fellow who uh, is into the transhumanism stuff the, who wants to you know upload his consciousness into a computer and all that. Yeah, good luck with that.
2: <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that kind of stuff's interesting. Given given the possibility to live forever, would you do that?
1: Definitely, hmm. without a shadow of a doubt.
2: If all the people you care about could stay around and things like that, like would there really be any downsides for you having eternal life?
0: Might get a bit bored. Well, there's a character in um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy who lives forever, and he gets so bored that he decides to insult everyone in the known universe individually, one by one, by visiting them and calling them names. Uh, And... His friends think that's not even the most ridiculous challenge. So he says, All right, I'll do it in alphabetical order. Um, and so he travels time and space in order to call people a jerk or something. I think it would get to that point after a while. You would get so bored. You, time would have no value to you. There, there would be no, no importance placed on the now and doing something, uh, because, You just think, well, I've got tomorrow. Like, you already lie in bed and surf the internet on, and only get out of bed when you need a piss. Like, that's going to get a thousand times worse if you know you live forever. See,
2: I don't know. I I think that, um, I don't know, at least for a a couple thousand years that I don't think I would get bored. There's so many things that I'd be interested in doing, like... You know, you could spend, uh, lifetimes being completely different people in different parts of the world, eventually different parts of the universe, right? Like, what if you spend a bunch of time, like, just working on space travel so that you could go explore more? Or like, right. you know, oh, I wanna, I wanna, it, you know, it'd be like, every day could basically you know or not every day but every few hundred years could be like starting a new world on minecraft right like i'll just go dick around on this planet for a while and build a whole new
0: civilization there and then i can i can see how that might be valuable but i think you you like anyone who wants that opts themselves out of it if they don't do those things with the time they currently have like if you're if you're not willing to put that effort in to like do interesting things every day with the limited 70 to 100 years that you have, then you shouldn't be allowed to have a thousand years to do it. Cause you're clearly not, you're clearly not, um, you know, invested in this life thing. If, if you're squandering 70 to 80 years, then no, you shouldn't have a thousand or 2000. If you're, if you're this kind of person, like these inspirational people you see on TV who've been everywhere and done everything, yeah, I think they should probably have a few more years. And it's sad when they die early, but no, if no, you opt yourself out of it.
2: So are you are you in favor of uh, reallocating people's life allocations, like that Justin Timberlake movie?
0: The Timberlake one, yeah. Maybe not in such a dystopian world, um, but yeah,
1: that's a pretty cool concept. I like that even with the stupid leds in your arm but if you could live forever then you might finally be able to read all those books no i wouldn't because
0: uh, like being living forever wouldn't hmm, i was in danger of saying something like you know when people win the lottery and they say ah oh, when i win the lottery it won't change me <laughs> uh, i think if i could live forever it wouldn't change me <laughs> i would still be too lazy and not read books